Welcome to another episode of the Victory Baptist Church podcast. This podcast is a ministry of Victory Baptist Church in Valdosta, Georgia. To learn more about our ministry and the impact it has had in our community for over 50 years, visit VictoryBaptistValdosta.com. Now let's listen as Pastor Ward brings today's message from God's Word. Moving along uh, through the book of Revelation, we're well over halfway through now. And if we can make our way to the, through the 18th chapter, things get a whole lot better. It's good in here tonight. This chapter number 14 is kind of a change uh, in the pattern of things that are going on during the, re- the uh, tribulation period, the great tribulation period now. And so we're going to look at a few of the verses in chapter number 14. And I have a handful of notes uh, that I've uh, written down. You'll not see them on the screen tonight. And so we'll, uh, we'll get them for you at a later date. I know some people are keeping up with all of them. And I'm more than happy to uh, get those uh, copied for you and uh, be glad to do that. Revelation chapter number 14. The title of the message tonight is The Return of the Lamb. The Return of the Lamb. Occasionally, as we've studied through the book of Revelation, we find the Lamb of God mentioned again and again. There's two, there's two titles that we, that we need to emphasize as we go through the book of Revelation, these two titles. One is the Lamb of God, and the other is the Son of God. The Lamb of God and the Son of God. And to be reminded, to be reminded that even in the midst of tribulation during this great uh, time of apocalypse uh, that you read about and that you've heard about and you probably watch Hollywood movies about. And we've seen some awful things, haven't we? We've seen some really bad things happening. From the very beginning, after about chapter number 6, the uh, tribulation period sets in and uh, it goes for three and a half years. I think I, I, in our notes, I made uh, a, a couple of notes for review Uh, The first half of the tribulation is found from chapter number 6 through chapter number 11. And then I can see it on the back screen, but don't turn around and look, okay? We can just take my word for it tonight. And uh, then the uh, middle of the tribulation is chapter number 12. There's kind of a pause there, and some things are taking place. We, We identified a number of those things as we were making our way through there. And then, of course, the second half of the tribulation begins in chapter number 13, where we were last Sunday evening, and goes all the way through chapter number 19. Now, these, these perimeters aren't exact. Uh, it's, there's a little bit of it that goes over into chapter number 19 and following. But for the most part, that identifies the seven years of tribulation, the 70 weeks of Daniel's trouble that we read about in the book of Daniel. Now, we're not going to go back over all those things again, but I did start to talk to you about a couple of weeks ago in chapter number 13, uh, last week in particular, but we talked about these seven scenes that are taking place. The great part, the, the part of the tribulation that is called the great tribulation, that is after the Antichrist has been identified and the, the man of sin is on the scene, according to 2 Thessalonians chapter number 2, this wicked one, he's called so many, the devil and uh, the beast that we saw him in, uh, 
in uh, the, uh, we saw him animated in different kinds of beasts uh, again and again and again and identified him uh, through that and the works. And uh, the devil is very deceptive. He may look like, he may look in, in uh, he may look one way at one point in time and then somehow or another this, uh, this, the devil, he transforms himself into something altogether different. But more than likely, you're never going to see the devil as this individual with horns and red flannel underwear and a big fork sticking out his backside. You'll probably never see him that way. Uh, he's, he's too deceptive to come to you in that kind of an outfit. Why, you'd know who he is. And so he has all of these different ways that he presents himself through the book of Revelation, we saw him uh, there early on riding that white horse. Uh, he is the Antichrist, and we see him duplicating or trying to duplicate what would happen all the way over in chapter number 20 when Christ comes back on a white horse of all things. And so you have to be very understanding of who he is. Uh, the Bible said this about the devil. He said, as for Satan, we are... We are not ignorant of his ways. And if you pay attention, you'll probably find out that he works like in your life like he did at some other point in time. He, he, he knows our weaknesses. He knows our frailties. He knows what it takes to get us. He knows what it takes to lead us into sin. He knows the sins that so easily beset us. And he knows what it takes for you and for me, and it might be something different in your life than it is in my life. And so you, I'm just saying all that to say this. You really have to keep your eyes open wide. If you don't, he'll get you. He'll get you. And uh, the sad thing is, everybody else may know it before you know it, before you're aware of it. And so we see that, that uh, one, of the, one of the names that he's given is the deceiver. Now, I talked about these seven different scenes. The first one was found in chapter number 12, and it was very simply titled this, The Woman and Her Child. The Woman and Her Child. And we offered some suggestions as to what I think uh, that might be a type of, what the analogy is there. And uh, again, uh, none, of, none of the things that I say are... are, are are, are, are set in stone. I'm not an expert in this area. This is probably the only, only the second time that I've taught in the book of Revelation in my entire ministry. I've taught parts of it. I made an, another attempt years ago to teach through the book of Revelation, made chapter number 12 and quit. And uh, we've already made it. It's a new record for me already. We're in chapter number 14. And so... You know, I'm not, I'm not saying take it with a grain of salt. Give consideration to what we're trying to say. And so we have these seven scenes that begin in chapter number 12, and they make their way. Most of them are in 12, 13, and 14, but then what happens in chapter number 14 works its way. It's just kind of a preview of what's going to happen in chapter 15, chapter 16, chapter 17, and chapter 18. It's kind of like flipping over to the, you get you a book and you're, you're getting ready to read it and you're so interested in it, but your mind keeps going to the end of it. 
And so you flip, you finally take the liberty and flip all the way to the end of the book and you read how the story finishes up. That's kind of what we have here. We kind of have the summary of what's coming in short time and a preview of what's coming in short time. And these events are sequel and they're happening one right after the other and sometimes they're even overlapping. But there's basically seven different scenes that take place from chapter number 13 through chapter number 18 dealing with the part of the tribulation that is called the Great Tribulation Period. We saw, first of all, the woman and her child. In the second place, we saw this war in a most unusual place. It said that the war was in heaven. I still don't have, you know, I, I, I still don't, I, I have a little trouble perceiving and understanding that a war is going on up in heaven. The Bible said it, so therefore I believe it. And then following that, we saw the persecution of the woman and then also the persecution of, um, of, of God's people. We see that a little bit later. We see the unveiling of the Antichrist. In chapter number 13, that man of sin, he's identified and he comes on the scene. We learn a lot about him. We learn uh, about the number of his name, the 666 the number of man times three, and the list goes on and on and on. The identification mark, the forehead and the hand, and uh, you couldn't, you, because of his power, you weren't able to buy, sell, or trade, or get anything unless you had the mark of the beast, and then if you didn't, then you fell under unbelievable persecution and martyrdom. And so uh, it's not a good time. And so I'm just saying to you, just get saved. Don't, and if you get saved, the only thing that I'm talking to you about is to, that you might be knowledgeable about what's going to happen either, um, uh, what's going to happen when Jesus comes again. When the clouds are separated and he steps out on a cloud and the voice of the archangel and the trump of God and the rapture of the church takes place, following very quickly after that, You'll see these things begin to transpire. But you'll be up in heaven and you'll be with Jesus and you'll be with, you'll be with your loved ones of old and uh, you'll be with the saints of war and, and all the things that we've sung about and all the things that we've talked about and all of our faith will be turned to fact. And it's going to be a wonderful time being up in heaven with Jesus. But down on earth, those that refused to submit their, themselves to Him, to the Lord Jesus Christ, and be saved, be obedient in salvation. And the Lord comes, this is what they go through. This is what they're going through. And uh, then we see the unveiling of the Antichrist. We see the persecution of God's people, the latter part of chapter number 13. And then we come to the, the next scene, which is the sixth, the sixth scene. Hard for me to say, sometimes hard to get the, that uh, pronunciation out. But the sixth scene, and, um, and it begins in chapter number 14. And uh, as, I, as I mentioned, it begins with this matter of the return of the Lamb. Quite frankly, the sixth scene is in chapter number 14. And the latter part of chapter number 14, we have the seventh and final scene, as I mentioned, that goes on and it rolls on over into the uh, following chapters until you finally come to the uh, uh, Battle of Armageddon and we'll get into all those things a little bit later. And uh, the, uh, 
a thousand year millennial reign of Christ, all those things are coming up, heaven itself, all of that is coming up. But we've got to make our way to that. We've got to make our way to that. And so tonight we look very briefly at this matter of the return of the Lamb. I'm so thankful tonight that, that He keeps showing up. You know, even in the worst of situations, the prayer, was it the prayer of Habakkuk the prophet that, that said, in, in wrath remember mercy? And he prayed to God and said, even in your wrath, would you, be, would you rem remember mercy? And so we see that. We see it happening over in chapter number 7 when, when we, we saw the horrible events at the end of chapter number 6 that were so bad that men were falling down at the foot of the mountains and crying out to the rocks to fall on us and, uh, and to hide us from the face of him and, uh, and uh, uh, things were so bad and then we see the Pauls and the ceiling of the one the ceiling of the 144,000 and, uh, and, and the celebration that goes on in heaven even in the midst of wrath remember mercy remember mercy here's the lamb again <laughs> here's the lamb again and, uh, and I'm sure that for those who have been saved during the tribulation period, and people, multitudes, will be saved in the tribulation period. Now, I don't know the guidelines on all of this. I, I've always heard, and I think, that it's, I think that it's safe to say emphatically that if you've heard the gospel in this period of grace, this 2,000-year church period, since Jesus died and, and the 2,000 years that have, been, that have passed by, if, you have, uh, if you've heard the gospel, if you've been wooed by the Holy Ghost of God to be saved and to be born again, I don't have any confidence that if you turn him away in the time of grace, I, I think about what he said in the book of Proverbs, I think about what he said in other places in the scripture, I think about what he said Dear, to that antediluvian age and the days of Noah and uh, how that, that, uh, that uh, they, listen, they, they turned away from him and uh, they would not receive him and they, and they drowned in the flood and the list goes on and on and on and on and on and on. I have, I have no reason to believe that you'll have an opportunity to be saved during the tribulation period. But there's people going to be born in the tribulation period. And little children are going to grow up in the tribulation period. And there's going to be scores of thousands of people that come to Christ during that time. And we see them. We see them. We see them redeemed by the blood of the Lamb. And they're rejoicing up in heaven. And there's, there's thousands and thousands of thousands and, and, and millions of people perhaps. But I wouldn't stand here before you tonight and give you any assurance or any hope that if Jesus were to come tonight and you were not saved and you were left behind, that you would have any opportunity to call on his name. Once the precious, the church is gone, the Holy Ghost is gone, the Holy Spirit has left with us, and you'll be left behind, hopelessly lost, hopelessly lost. Now, I don't know all the guidelines, all those kind of things, but I want to make you think about it. And I think that I would be not worth the salt of my bread if I did any less. Make sure that you know that you're saved. Young people, make sure you know that you're saved. 
will be something if the Lord, the trumpet were to sound tonight and as it's, as it's given to us in the gospel, there's two in the field, one's taken, one's left behind, two in, the, two in the bed, one's taken, one's left behind. Wouldn't that be an awful thing? Be, it's an awful thought. It's an awful thought to think about that it could be one of your children or one of your family members or one of your uh, workers that you, that you appreciate and love and like and, and so on and so forth. I don't know why I'm running that way, but let me go on. And so the sixth scene begins with the lamb in verse number 1 through 5, and we'll read those verses, and we'll think about this while we're reading them. The lamb and his redeemed. It said that they're redeemed, and uh, even though we know who they are. In verse number 1, it said, And I looked, and lo, a lamb stood on Mount Sinai. <laughs> I like that. Amen. And with him a hundred and forty and four thousand, having his father's name written in their foreheads. We've already seen this group back in chapter number seven. We know who they are. They're all Jews. They're not Jehovah Witnesses. They're all Jews, all 144,000 of them. And uh, the tribes that they were from have been identified. God knows the bloodline. He knows the lineage. He knows the heritage. He knows the ancestry. And every one of them will be uh, an ancestor. Their ancestors will be one of the 12 tribes of Israel. And uh, we went through all that a little bit earlier. So you don't have to worry about that. Will I be one of these? No, but I like what, what's going on. There's some, there's some things to, to be gathered in nonetheless. He said, I heard a voice from heaven. As the voice of many waters, my when God speaks, as the voice of a great thunder, back over in the book of Psalms, and I preached from many times, I don't, I'm not sure, I think maybe it's chapter number 57, but it deals with the seven voices of God. The seven times that God speaks with his, audibly he speaks, and the way things happen when God speaks. And I heard the voice of harpers harping with their harps. And they sung as it were a new song before the throne. And before the four beasts, and the elders, and no man could learn that song, but the hundred and forty and four thousand which were redeemed from the earth. The Lamb and His redeemed. Notice what it, what it says about them. There are several things, that, and I'll read them in verses 4 and verse number 5. These were they uh, which were not defiled with women, and, uh, for they were virgins. These are they which, look at this, follow the Lamb whithersoever he goeth. These were redeemed from among men, being the first fruits unto God and to the Lamb. And in their mouth was found no guile, for they are without fault before the throne of God. Let's stop there for just a moment. And let's look at, let's look at two or three things about them. Back in verse number 1, 1, 2, and well through verses 1, 2, 3, 4, and 5, we learned these things, and I'm just going to throw this at you, and uh, we can maybe look at it. Number one, they're an exalted group of people. I mean, they're with God. Number two, we not only see that they're an exa uh, exalted group of people, verse number 1, but in verse number 3, they're a very exclusive group of people. And he gives us some particulars about who they are and what they're doing and what's going on in their lives. But, uh, and then I'm not even, I, I, 
this is one of the words that I was a little uh, cautious about uh, because it's one of the words that we do in accreditations, exemplary. They're not only exalted, they're exclusive, and they're exemplary. How are they exemplary? Verses 4 and 5. Number one, they're exemplary in their conduct. In their conduct. They were virgins. They had never been with a woman. Uh, they were exemplary in their consecration to the Lord. And we should be. We should be exemplary in our consecration to God. And after all, do we not know that it is our responsibility as born-again believers, this matter of living a sanctified life and a consecrated life, we are to live our lives for Him. And that's what these people are doing. What a great example for you and me. How, did they, how were they consecrated? He said they followed the Lamb wherever He went, always following the Lamb. They were exemplary in their conversation, if you want to write that down. And it said that there was no guile found in their mouths. They were exemplary in their character, their conduct, their consecration, their conversation, and their character, for they were without fault. Now we know that nobody's perfect other than Jesus Christ himself. But isn't it wonderful that we see this example that he's given to us of this redeemed elect group that were that were uh, called out of the tribulation period, the 144,000, all of them Jews, and God gives us an example of their lives in much worse times than the time that you and I are living in. Oh, we just think we have it bad. And in some cases it is. Pretty rough times, isn't it? But the reality of it is that what we're living in, the worst that we're, the worst that we're living in is a drop in the bucket compared to what these 144,000 have been through in their persecution. Let's say something else about it. Let's look a little bit further, a little bit further. And then we have these three angels that come and preach. Uh, we, know that, uh, we know that these angels are preaching and each one of them there's three of them, and then other angels that come and give messages. But he mentions in particular in verses uh, 6 and 7, uh, we see that they are preaching the good news. And he said, I saw another angel fly in the midst of heaven, another angel fly in the midst of heaven, having the everlasting gospel to preach unto them that dwell in the earth and to every nation and kindred and tongue and people, saying with a loud voice, Look, look what he's preaching. He's preaching, fear God and give glory to him for the hour of his judgment has come and the worship uh, and worship him that made heaven and earth and sea and the fountains of waters. And so the first angel is coming and he's preaching the gospel. The gospel, not necessarily the gospel of the grace of God, and yet it, it includes that, but he's preaching the gospel of the kingdom of God, and our Savior and the gospel made sure that we understood that there's a little bit of difference in the gospel that brings us to Jesus and the gospel that they're preaching that brings the kingdom of God to us. 
Because the king is coming. The king is coming. They cried out in the book of Psalms in the 24th chapter. It said, who is the king of glory? And they cried out and said, the Lord God Almighty in battle is he. Jesus is coming again. The king is coming again. He's coming to set up his kingdom right here on this earth. And we'll rule and reign with him for a thousand years. And they're saying to the people, get ready. Get ready. Get ready because the king is coming. The second coming of the Lord, the good news. This is in, a, in, verse number, uh, in verse number six and seven, we have the gospel of the kingdom, which is the good news. And if that's good news, I'm telling you what comes up next is great news. Notice what he said in uh, verse number eight. And there followed another angel. Here's angel number two. Listen to his message saying, Babylon is fallen, is fallen. That great city, that great city, because she hath made, she made all nations to drink of the wine of the wrath of her fornication. And so the first angel comes and he's preaching and he's crying out, the king is coming, the king is coming. It won't be long before Jesus comes, the return of the Lord to the earth. When he comes the next time, there is a, a first coming, there is a future coming, and there is a final coming of the Lord. And the last two are part of the same thing. It is a second coming or the return of Christ. And it starts with the rapture, but at uh, the end of the tribulation period, he comes the first time that he came, he set foot on earth. The second time that he comes, he comes in the clouds. When he comes for his final return, he comes back and sets his feet. And it said that they saw him standing there on Mount Zion. Mount Zion. He's coming, ladies. He's coming, gentlemen. And this old world, as you know it, tonight is going to be changed forever and forever and forever. Oh, my. So here's, if that's the good news, here's the great news. Babylon has fallen. Babylon in the scripture, in the Old Testament, in the New Testament as well, is, is a representation of all the wicked and all the evil. Babylon is, is um, this is the first time that Babylon is mentioned in the book of Revelation, but not the first time it's mentioned in the Bible. Babylon has always been that kind of seat, uh, that the, the, the Mecca for everything that is wrong. It was, it was in Babylon, and if you, if you look on ancient maps, it doesn't take you very long to find out. And uh, it, you'll find out that the center of everything is not Rome, but it's in Iraq. And Babylon was, ancient Babylon is what is Iraq now. And if you take time to look on a map and, and just kind of transpose other uh, uh, other names on top of, of nations and on top of cities where they were, what they were at that time and what they are now, you'll find out for the most part that downtown Baghdad is the ancient city that God talks about as Babylon. As Babylon. And from that place, uh, he said that Babylon is falling. Babylon shall fall. Babylon shall fall. 
And of course, this is not the last mention. We see this is just the beginning of it. It's falling over the next several chapters and it's mentioned again a little bit further on and you see what God is doing in destroying. It's a very short statement but, and then it's elaborated on in chapter 16 and chapter number 17. But here's what's going to happen. That's where the Antichrist will set up his kingdom. And from that kingdom, he will rule the world politically, he will rule the world economically, and he will rule the world religiously. But just for a little short period of time. His heyday is a short day. It's not even a 24-hour day. And God comes in and destroys the work of the, all the things that the devil has as, uh, and all of, uh, all of the persecution and in the history of the world, there's not, there's not been a place, there's not been a place. I'm not e uh, even in, in Europe, in Germany, in, in the time of the Holocaust and all those kind of things. Millions, millions, and we recognize that, we understand that. Millions of Jews were persecuted and, and, uh, and assassinated and, and executed and buried by droves in in the graves and, and uh, their bodies just pushed into holes and covered up with bulldozers. We've seen all that. We've seen the starvation. We've seen all that. But Babylon has been doing that for, for centuries and for millenniums. And God puts an end to it. That's good news. I, I'll be glad when the devil is off my back. Somebody said, don't you know the devil is tied? The old preacher said, well, if he's tied, he's tied to me. <laughs> he's tied to my coattail. I don't know about you, but he bothers me every single day, and I'd be a little bit upset. I'd be a little bit disturbed, I should say, if he didn't bother me. Now, he never bothered me before, back when I was seven, 16 years old and 18 years old and 20 years old and 21 years old. Never had a lot of conflict with the devil. But something happened in, in when, I turned, when I was 22 years old. Something happened, and it seemed like he's been after me ever since. Ever since. Had to fight him off all the time. Had to push him back all the time. But one of these days, in just one swipe of God's hand, Babylon will be destroyed. And all of his political and all of his uh, economic troubles and all of, all of the religious things for throughout the 20th century, especially at the beginning of the 20th century, and I've got to close, and I'm not even halfway through the chapter. But throughout the 20th century, most everybody believed that uh, this, this uh, harlot and all that will be identified, the one world church and one world government, they, they thought forever that that the Pope would be the Antichrist and that the Vatican would be the, the uh, seat of the Antichrist and they put the Catholic Church and all that. But, you know, we've, we've learned in the last 20 years that there's a religion in the world that's much bigger than Catholicism now. Islam. Islam. Much bigger. Much bigger. There are some nations in the world... India and other places that are 80 to 90 percent. We think about some of the South American countries, some of the Latin American countries that are 80, 90 percent Catholic. But there are places in the world that 
and huge populations of people, billions of people, are under the influence of Islam. Under the influence of Islam. Who knows? Who knows? So the second angel cries out the fall of Babylon. The third angel messenger, it starts in verse number 9 and goes through verse number 11. We'll not have time to read these verses. Read them when you get home. But we see the wrath of God. Now we're still on scene number 6. All of these things are taking place. The Lamb uh, stands on Mount Zion, the first angel messenger with the gospel, the second angel messenger with the fall of Babylon, the third messenger comes, and maybe we just need to read a couple of verses, and then we'll just kind of uh, give a summary of the end of the chapter. Look, look what he said in verse number 9. And the third angel followed them, saying with a loud voice, If any man worship the beast, listen now, and his image, and receive his mark in his forehead and his hand, the same shall drink of the wine of the wrath of God, which is poured out without mixture into a cup of indignation. I don't know what all that means, but it sounds bad. And he shall be tormented with fire and brimstone in the presence of the holy angels and in the presence of the Lamb, capital L-A-M-B. And the smoke of their torment ascended up forever and ever. And they have no rest, day nor night who worshipped the beast and his image, and whosoever receiveth the mark of his name. And then he goes on and says, Here is the patience of the saints. Here are they that keep the commandments of God and the faith of Jesus. All these verses need to be discussed. But then he said, I heard a voice from heaven saying unto me, Right, blessed are the dead which die in the Lord from henceforth. And yea, saith the Spirit, that they may rest from their labors and their works do follow them. But then he looks again. He said, and I looked in verse number 14, and this begins the seventh scene. The seventh scene. And I looked, and behold, a white cloud. And upon the cloud one sat, like unto the Son of Man, the Son of Man, having on his head a golden crown and in his hand a sharp sickle. And another angel out of the temple crying with a loud voice to him that sat on the cloud. Thrust in thy sickle and reap. We, Jesus gave us description of all this in Matthew 24, I believe it is. And uh, for the time has come, here it is, the time has come for thee to reap and the harvest of the earth is ripe. This is not a harvest for salvation. This is a, this is a harvest of condemnation. There's a difference between the gathering of the wheat and the, and, uh, and the gathering of the weeds. There's quite a difference. And he said that he's, he that sat on the cloud thrust his sickle on the earth and the earth was reaped. And another angel, angels everywhere, came out of the temple which is in heaven and he also having a sharp sickle. And another angel came out of the altar, out from the altar, which had power over fire, and cried with a loud voice to him that had the sharp sickle, saying, Thrust, thrust in thy sharp sickle, and gather the clusters of the vines of the earth, for her grapes are fully ripe. And the angel thrust his sickle into the earth, 
and gathered the vine of the earth and cast it into a great winepress of the wrath of God. And the winepress was trodden without the city and the blood, look at this, and the blood came out of the winepress even unto the horse's bridles for a space of 1,600 furlongs or about 200 miles. About 200 miles. The blood was running as deep as a horse's bridle. And so we close with this. The sixth scene is the lamb and the redeemed, the first angel messenger, the second angel messenger, the third angel messenger. In verses 12 through 13, there's a word for believers of that day and hour. Keep the commandments of God. Keep your faith in Jesus. Keep the commandments of God. Keep your faith in Jesus. Whatever you do, don't take the mark of the beast. Keep the commandments of God and keep your faith in Jesus. A word to God's people. A word for the believers. The seventh scene is very simply this. The time of judgment has come. Now Jesus, has, when he was in the world the first time, he came as a sower of the seed. When he comes this time, he comes as a reaper of the harvest. A reaper of the harvest. The tares, it's time for their judgment. Time for their judgment. The return of the Lamb. It doesn't end on a happy note, does it? But it sure started on one. <laughs> Thank you so much for your attention tonight. You're such a good class, such a good audience as we work our way through here. We got three or four more to go, and uh, then we'll see. We'll see how this turns out. You know? Can't wait to the to the last to the last section. Let's all stand tonight. Again, thank you for being in the Lord's house, and uh, thank you for your prayers.